At last, it is time for Talkie Talk. At last, we shall have our revenge. <laughs> We're here today with all another right. episode <laughs> to uh, talk about our homework, which was Revenge. The ABC television series Revenge, set in the uh, Hamptons. <laughs> Man, I wanted to listen to the soundtrack, because I like... Well, occasionally you get in moods where I'm like, I want to listen to some like European like club bumping music when I'm driving home. And I looked looked about a thing on Spotify, like set set it so that I just have to hit one button. Got ready to hit play. Got in my truck, turned it on, hit play, and I was like, wait a second, <laughs> this is not. Was it to the show? It was to the show. Because <laughs> there's not like an official soundtrack playlist on Spotify for the for for the, for either. So it was just like a playlist somebody made. So I was like, sure, whatever. Like I have no way of verifying this is right. There's just track titles to artists I don't know. So I start driving a hit play, and I'm like, I don't remember the tone of <laughs> of this movie being so joyful at times, because there is no joy in this movie. But I'm jumping ahead. A uh, little Brent tidbit real quick. Uh, one of the nice. stars one of the stars of the TV show Revenge is Madeline Stowe. Okay. Yep. Who's also in the 1990 film Revenge, starring Kevin Costner. Who also shares a first name with the heroine from the movie we just watched, Revenge, Madeline Lutz. And uh, wasn't the guy's name Kevin, too? The actor who played the... Who's uh... Kevon. <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. We're actually talking about the Kiss album, Revenge, 1992's <laughs> comeback album for Kiss. No. We're actually uh... talking about Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kevin Jansen's was the star. Ah. It was the uh, the Rob Lowe knockoff of this movie. <laughs> was Jamie Lannister. <laughs> so you guys all watch Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, right? That's what I assigned. Yeah. <laughs> Alright. Uh, actually, I watched t- 2017 French uh, action horror film. Yeah. Thriller. Thriller. Yeah. Called uh, Revenge. Yeah. Directed yeah. by Coralie Farjat. <laughs> Farjat? <laughs> um, so I, I do want to ask you first. <laughs> I'm moving on from that. This is this is our first major foray into Shudder, and we kind of had like a slam session for the Synecdoche podcast with Crackle. Yeah. Gonna, I wonder what you guys thought of Shudder. Way better than Crackle. <laughs> I can tell you why Shudder crackles. <laughs> Shudder's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked it. I thought it was a... I, I had problems streaming it to my phone, uh, but once I got it on my iPad, it. I think it might be a my phone problem and not a Shudder problem. My shutter was a little slow to get going on the movie, yeah. but once it got going, it was perfectly fine. I like their collections that they have on there. Yeah. I, I like I like that like someone like Guillermo del Toro will come in and be like, you have to watch these five movies that are monster movies that inspired me to make Shape of Water. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to, to put that in there. You know, we do recommendations from time to time, and I would recommend Shudder as a or service. And a yeah. good, they had a great catalog. Yeah. But this is normally where Brent throws it to someone to say the description, so that's what I'm going to do. Okay. Run, run through the plot of the movie. Um, I'm not going to use character names because I am terrible at remembering them, and I also think that you could have called called them all like Stranger 1, Stranger 2, Boyfriend, and Girlfriend. Yeah, I know the fat guy's name is Dimitri, and I only know that because of Wikipedia. I'm not sure his name is ever said. Do they call him Dimmy? Okay. Because I had subtitles on Walkie. Walkie searching for him is the only time I've been aware of it's and I remember Stan because as soon as Stan's name gets said, I got the heebie-jeebies because he has that really longing look in his face. Yeah. Uh, so the story is a um, a a 
wealthy executive, French executive, and his mistress uh, travel to his like hunting lodge, kind of, uh, in the Australian outback um, for a weekend getaway. And uh, while they're, after uh, a day there, uh, his uh, local buddies, who presumably knew he was coming, uh, show up early. And, uh, for their like annual hunting trip. For their annual hunting trip, and kind of interrupt um, their uh, their 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 romance. And uh, I got the vibe he was hoping they would come after she had already left. Right, they show up a day early. Yeah, yeah. and uh, they show up. They're kind of creeps uh, when they first get there, but uh, nothing untoward yet. Then they all kind of get drunk, talk about maybe doing drugs later, but uh, Jennifer ends up stowing away the drugs just kind of as like a, a hot girl prank, um, and then ends up dancing with uh, Stan, one of the strangers. Uh, the next morning, her boyfriend goes to secure the hunting licenses from the local authorities, and while uh, he is gone, uh, Stan comes into the room with Jennifer and uh, rapes her. Um, from there, uh, we kind of cut to uh, the boyfriend coming back, um, pissed off, but not nearly pissed off enough, um, where he bargains with, checks in on Jennifer, but then bargains with Stan. Somehow they're going to make an arrangement to, uh, to pay them off, um, or to pay him off, and then Jennifer can't ever speak of it again. It sounds like from like what he was pitching, uh, she was gonna, she wasn't going to leave uh, from that point on. Uh, but essentially, uh, they, they arranged that Stan and Dimitri are going to pay uh, the boyfriend and girlfriend to not say anything about it. Uh, Jennifer, obviously freaked out by the events, uh, rejects it, uh, ends up uh, getting into or. He hits her, the boyfriend hits her, and she runs away from the compound where uh, they then chase her down on foot and they push her off a cliff uh, after uh, handing her her phone back and saying, like, oh, yeah, everything's going to be okay. Just come here. And the boyfriend pushes her off a cliff where she falls and lands and is impaled on a dead tree. Um, and then the plot from there is uh, she tries to get away from them. They try and find her. And then all of a sudden, uh, she tries to find them, and they try and get away from her. And it's a big revenge story from that point on. Yep. So, I I know you mentioned Australian Outback. I, there's apparently some... No one quite knows exactly where this is set. Uh, there's Some people believe it's in Mexico or the U.S. because of the, the Latino helicopter right. pilot giving them the peyote. And they never say. So it's sort of like... And also, she's she's probably American, and they're all French, and so it's like, it could be anywhere. Yeah, there's there's a, there are television programs that are uh, all in English. There's a like a shopping channel which is like U.S. something, and but then there's also like TV shows like the wrestling on TV is not American wrestling, right? Um, yeah. So it's yeah. I guess I, I, I assumed it because she because Madeline Lutz is Australian and has an Australian accent. Although she doesn't really talk for the back half or back two thirds of the movie, she doesn't say a single word um, after she falls off the cliff. Um, but yeah, I mean it, it could be anywhere. I just assumed I'll yeah. Back. I think that's why it's sort of like maybe extra disorienting for her. Yeah, in the movie 
Um, it's a there's there's no setting that makes a character feel more sort of alone than the desert, right? Because it just goes on forever. But uh, anyway, what would you guys think of the movie? I think it did what it was trying to do very well. Yeah. Would you would you think about it? Like, what did you like it? Uh. Yeah, I mean, as much as I could like a rape revenge movie, right? That, um, that, that's kind of the elephant in the room, right? I mean, I know Chris has seen Wind River, which isn't a rape revenge movie technically, but the rape and the revenge are pretty central to the plot. They're just revealed at the end of the film, right? You don't know what happened, and this isn't spoil Wind River for you if you haven't seen it. No, although it is kind of a mystery, a little right? Um, but yeah, it's it's. I mean, the acting was good enough. The The gore is turned up to 11 like it is in these kind of movies. Yeah. Um, and the graphics were good on that gore. It, it's hard to, like... For me to, like, be critical of a scene where a guy pulls a huge shard of glass out of his foot. Like, that was done well. Right. Good job. You did what you tried to do. And, but, like, separate the... Not my thing from it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I get it. You're, you're saying that, that you have personal bias, which isn't necessarily, like, bad. Everyone has it. And that when the when the goal of the movie is to make you feel uncomfortable, that you feel uncomfortable means that the movie was effective, but it's hard then to say that you liked it. Because it accomplished its goal of making you feel uncomfortable. And it's not even that. Like, I like movies that make me feel uncomfortable. It's just, like, there's literally no plot to this that is anything other than like she got raped she killed everybody that raped her right it's like a bottle episode of a TV show but a movie where it's like this there's not a lot of plot it is just self-contained it's a very simple story yeah and it's in just this one place yeah it is a super simple story yeah that's a good way to put it and like the acting's not amazing it's not bad right um the sound and the Use of the setting was fantastic, I thought. Yeah. Um, it was filmed really well. I really like the way the cave is illuminated by her fire when she is uh, when she's sleeping in the cave that night. Yeah, that, that long shot from way back in the cave. It's gorgeous. It's really, really neat. Yeah, and then the, the part that they try to put, like, external twisty plot on it was pretty eye-rolly. She ends up cauterizing her... Wound with a beer can after she numbed herself with booze and peyote. Yeah, and uh, sears a big like phoenix into her belly. She lit the tree on fire to escape. Yeah, um, it's the only part of this movie where I went, "Come on!" Unless, unless which I talked about, and you said one of my our favorite directors, Sean Baker, my favorite director, Sean Baker, said the same thing. I was like, "Unless we're supposed to believe that she died." burning the tree and that this is all like a death dream right which if that's the case then like the phoenix is supposed to make me think of something else that was a little darker than like you thought she was dead but she rose from the ashes that kind of thing um but if that's the case it doesn't really make the movie that much better it makes it more like a huh yeah yeah it it, it, you know one of those things where like when I was watching it I, I didn't think about it because I 
I like probably all three of us just assumed that like oh this is this is as simple as the title of the movie lets on, right? And not mm-hmm. you know left for contemplation like oh maybe she died or maybe they maybe they all took the peyote and this is a bad trip or right. like you know anything like that. The one part that makes me I was telling Brent earlier that makes me uh, hesitant on the she actually died scenario was that the first time she shot her rifle there was such a bad response to her physically with that. Like, the kickback was so strong that it felt like it probably wasn't a dream where she was getting her way. Right. It seems It seems like a... Yeah. It seems like a strange power fantasy to make yourself so incompetent with something. Right. Uh, if you could have a beer logo <laughs> uh, burned onto your abdomen, what beer would it be? Dale's Pale Ale. <laughs> <laughs> it just has the words Dale's Pale Ale. <laughs> yeah. Emergency drinking beer. Yeah, yeah that's good. Um, yeah, that, that was, and I know we brought this up off mic, and I know it's, it's one of those things that you, you don't want to get too far down into the uh, bombs can't fall in space type of, uh, right. of movie criticism. <laughs> but, you know, it is... I did notice that, though. That was a little... It was noticeable, and I was like, oh, is that can, like... Uh, raised. Etched. Raised. Yeah. Etched. etched. Yeah. Because how did she do that? And then Chris noticed... Yeah, that. the Mexican beer would be backwards. Right. If she Which actually... Which isn't as good, like, cinematically. Yeah. If it's backwards. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't add anything to it. Right. Right. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, there is... There is... That was my... That was when my uh, watching experience went from... It wasn't even at the tree. I was like on board. I was fine with, the, with burning the tree and yeah. her pushing herself off of it. But that was when I went to an active suspension of disbelief. Was when I saw her cauterize that wound. And maybe that's another thing that leads to it's a death dream. Yeah. Or or I just uh-huh. or I just am fine with like the Django Unchained aspect of like... Nope, everything's just over the top. And this is just like a like a fantastical understanding of everything in it. Yeah. Like almost and this is probably overanalyzing the movie, but you know, you talk about um, you know, rape could represent like a loss of humanity or innocence or and that that then everything that happens to her is you know, dialed up. Uh could make sense kind of metaphorically. Um, but I, I really don't want to spend a lot of time as, you know, three dudes kind of dissecting the purpose of a rape scene in cinema. I don't, I don't think that we are, we are that well equipped to talk about it. Uh, it happened and that's, it's, it's a hard issue to talk about. I do think it's interesting that in all the revenges in the movie that, uh, I think they all at least, somewhat tie back into the rape. Yep. Um, you know, something go the knife goes into Dimitri's eye. His his face, his body is is violated and invaded yeah. by a knife. Um, the glass in uh yeah. what's his name's foot? Stan Stan's Stan. foot. And then while there's not like a an intrusion, um, Richard is left naked yeah. And vulnerable, and and he and he is killed with like at close range, like 
at an intimate like distance and setting mm-hmm. um, in a in a hallway just full of blood. Yeah, and I I think that's obviously intentional, and I think it's it's I, I don't think it's bad. I think it's a good tie-in. Yeah, it's maybe not so clever that it like blew me away or anything. Right, but I think this movie was more clever in I think it spent more time thinking about like the ways things could bleed yeah and <laughs> than like any poetic justice in in the in like what made them bleed to begin with I think it was more get to the gore yeah um and I think the gore was the more interesting part of the movie and it was very unsettling and it was very well done it was hard to watch. Yeah, very hard to watch at times. Yeah, all of all of the, uh, the like any any time there was a scene like a shot on a wound and then it would like pulse blood out it was just like the worst. Yeah, the, the the effects were were really well done and I, and I include like the really cartoonish head popping like dream sequence she had when she was tripping. Like I thought that that was like it was cartoonish, but the the editing was really good and the effects were were. Yeah. C- convincing enough, um, but yeah, I'm. I think I think I'm in the same boat as TJ. Where it's I have, I have a trepidation about saying that I liked the movie. Um, there are parts of it that I think they did extremely well. I I, I compared this before uh, TJ had seen it to like, kind of like a Mandy meets Tarantino, where it's that like Tarantino element of like everything gore over the top. Like the like the cinematography thing is, is definitely very inspired by, um, by him and the uh, the Mandy influence. I forget that director's name. Well, I mean, really, it's this influence on Mandy, if right? Anything, but it's it's hard to argue that anything influenced Mandy when Mandy is just an extension of the first movie. Sure, I just don't want to give right. this movie like any negative points for being too much like Mandy. Right, and it was released a year earlier. But that's like the. Uh, with like the, the really stark decisions made with like color and like artificially coloring scenes with the two with the two panes of tinted glass. I hate using a word like this, but the movie was pretty. Yeah. It was gorgeous. Yeah, very well shot. Yeah. Um yeah, and I think that, you know, Madeline Lutz did a did a fine job. Yeah, all the, all four of them were fine. Yeah. Kevin Jansen was I think I, I really like Kevin Jansen when they're doing the the hallway chase. That scene was so good. Those like those, I think like like pretty deliberately like, hey, I want you to be angry but over the top angry. Yeah, and you're gonna be naked, running with their shotgun, charging down the hallway, and we're gonna shoot you from your chest up. Like, dude is a gorgeous human. Yeah, and so shot like just that and just like like growling over the barrel of the shotgun. I think it was just a the blood red hallway. Yeah, that scene became. I don't know if it was intentional. That scene became almost comic to me at a certain point. Because they had been in those corridors for so long. Yeah. Changing direction and then yeah. just both of them just doing circles around the other. Yeah. And just a comical amount of blood. Yeah. Yeah. Like, nobody's alive if one person bled that much blood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're not still walking. Oh, that's that, that's already true when she leaves the tree. They follow that trail of blood for so long. Right. And the trail of blood is so steady that, like, not happening. Yeah. But. The, I really also want to highlight the, when... Uh, she comes is, is at the climax when he is in the shower and he grabs the gun and he goes looking because he hears something. Yeah, that tracking shot over his shoulder, following where he's going, out to the end of the pool and back, 
It's so damn good. It's really well done. Yeah. It's uh, so tense. There's so much tension. And uh, I think this movie, that's its strongest suit, is building tension. Because it does a fantastic job of that. Yeah. And I'd probably bump this movie up from what feels like a three and a half star movie to a four star movie just to give it its due in its genre. Um, I think it did things that I watched. I spit in your, I spit on your grave mm. in preparation for this kind of, um, this movie's just so much better in so many ways. Uh, but I feel like I'm going to give it a half star bump just because I think it's, when you dive super specific into genres, it's probably one of the best I've seen. Right. So in the rape and revenge specific genre, in the in not this. I mean, it ends up being rape because that is the easiest way to show a female getting like violated. Mm-hmm. Not the easiest way, but the worst way to justify right. what you want the end of the movie to be. Yeah. Um, that. Yeah, I mean that. There's a tons of movies that are like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That that. I mean, you could kill Bill in a revenge movie that way. I guess there's no real. There is rape, but that's not the catalyst for the revenge. Right. Um, but, no, it seemed better than than a lot I've seen for female-on-male revenge. Yeah, and I think that's, that's kind of uh, it, just the point of stripping away everything else. Like, there is, there is, you know... All that drama, all of those like interpersonal relationships, and then after the rape scene, there is nothing else in the movie. It is just bare from the from the violation on of what this movie is, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of why there's just like there's just no fucking around about it. They're just like we're gonna we're gonna shoot this really good revenge story, yeah, and that's all it's gonna be, but it's gonna be a good one, yeah. Did a good job. It was what hour and fifty minutes or so. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to decide if I like if like is the right word for this movie. Um, yeah, it's kind of what I was getting at early on. Like it's, I think I did like the movie, but it, but not in a fuzzy way. You know, not yeah. like a, not like a, I want to watch this movie again. I want to tell my friends about this, this movie's movie. great. You should check it out. Yeah. Not even that kind of way. No. Um. Like I said, I feel comfortable being like, hey man, you set out to do a thing and you knocked it out of the park. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Score's really good. I like the score. The music was good. Mm-hmm. You do, uh, I think we're tying this into kind of revenge movies in general. Um, there was one that I was trying to think of, like, what's the opposite of this kind of movie? in a But still a revenge story. Uh, and it's, it's the movie where no one rapes anybody and then someone is pleasant. <laughs> There's no revenge there, though. <laughs> that's why it's opposite. I said the opposite. It's still a revenge movie. Oh, and still you make your dumb joke before I finish. Yeah, that's true. I wasn't really listening. <laughs> um, has anybody seen Hard Candy? Yeah, that movie. Have you seen it, Brent? No, but that I know what it is. Popped into my head as a like completely opposite, not a thriller, right? A psychological horror revenge movie. Yeah. Um, has anybody seen I Spit on Your Grave for the remake? No. It's the fucking same. It's way more brutal in the rape scene. She gets like gang raped. Okay, um, but it's the same plot. They leave her for dead, and she doesn't die. You're yeah. looking for revenge without revenge without like violence. The, yeah. Well, no, no, no. Revenge without like uh, 
Without the, like, horror aspect and gore aspect. Oh. Uh. Like, nothing happens on screen in Hard Candy to make you be like, Ugh. Right. On screen. Oh. I think they're more like, well, you've got, like, a more traditional revenge story. Like, probably the most famous revenge story ever is The Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah. Which is never icky or even gory. It's more institutional revenge. Right. Um. Um, another one I thought of that I'm not seeing on any list here, which is weird. It makes me think I'm thinking of a different movie, but I know I'm not. It was Munich, um, which is like completely different than what we're talking about now. Like revenge is really the only way these movies are similar. You know what I mean? Right. What was this uh, woman's background? Do you know the the director? Uh, not much. She directed and written a couple of shorts, um, and. Uh, that's it. It's a pretty like on a technical directing side of things. It's a pretty impressive debut. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm 100%. For, for her feature length debut. I'm really excited to see what I think it's Coralie Farge. That's my best attempt at it. I'm, I'm excited to see what she makes next. She's clearly got a great eye, um, and pulled some some good performances out of these people. So I'm interested. You know who did the score? Who's that? Rob. Nice. That was, that was how he was credited in the movie. Rob? Rob. Okay. Sweet. It's his stage name. He's a French <laughs> pop rock musician. Robin Coudere. Uh, so, Rob. is there something in this movie, besides the lack of action, that makes John Wick, like, categorically better? Is there something in, they, in, in Revenge... That makes John Wick better. Is there, no, is there something in John Wick besides just the action? Because right. the action is fucking incredible. And if that's the only answer, that will suffice. But is there something that makes John Wick so much better than this movie? Besides just Keanu Reeves being a badass yes. space fighter. I think it's the... I think it's the... And obviously, Chris is the bigger John Wick fan, so uh, I'm interested to hear his answer as well. But for me, it's it's probably the... More complicated plot of him being an assassin, him being the best, him being wronged, and then uh, like, having whoopsie wronged, having having all the assassins having the big bounty put on him. So I like that aspect of it. Yeah, and and mine that I was going to say was I like the the layer just underneath that of the mythology and the lore behind all of it. That is, it's like if you want to, it's here for you to dig into. If you don't want to, that's fine because it's not necessary to enjoy the movie. Man, I watched uh, just at a quick aside. I watched Parabellum. I didn't talk about it on the thing, but man, if you like the lore, they fucking dive into the lore. Yeah, <laughs> Parabellum. Holy shit! Yeah. Parabellum's the lore. Parabellum gets a uh, gets a little rulesy in a way that I so many rules. Man. Yeah. Um, but yes, that's that. That's what I would say for for the the. If John That's a good Wick, answer, and it is better, I think. Yeah, for sure. Also, can't underestimate Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Well, I think the thing with that, though, is not his acting, it is his acting, his physical acting, which is what I was trying to remove. That and John Wick is obviously, like, it is unrivaled on this. Right. Um, he should be rewarded for that, but I mean, I just don't think it's... That's what I was trying to remove, because I feel like it is obviously so much better than any other movie that tries to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the... Uh, yeah, because John, because Keanu Reeves is pretty, pretty much wordless from the jump too. Yeah, it's true. 
true. He has like a couple conversations and interrogations in the first movie, and then he has the "Yeah, I'm back" dumb line. But like, that's the thing; it's a dumb line. He's got this conversation with the big show outside of uh, the Russian club, but like, right. then that's it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we can keep talking about stuff like nebulously, or we can force our hand to talk about more revenge movies, or we don't have to. I mean, it's, it's up to you. I just kind of wanted to watch. Yeah, the no, it's, it was an interesting like <laughs> exercise to watch. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, Mandy was like the revenge movie of the year last year, uh, and it would be the movie I would point to if somebody, I would if if you had seen Mandy and I spit on your grave, I would say this is a blending of those two movies, like almost perfectly. Yeah. It's a little less of both. Those two movies are turned up to 11, and this movie was, like, consistently an 8. Like, um, so... I think its gore is right up there, but I think its methodology and its creativity and producing the gore was lower than Mandy. Mandy. I mean, yeah, I guess Mandy was... I had some trouble calling Mandy, like, overly creative. Because it felt like it was just, like, fucking... Beep, boop, pop, boop, boop. Like, I'm going to press all the fucking buttons and we'll see what happens. None of this has to make sense. Like, is that creative? I guess. Like, you I know thought, what I mean, though? Like, it. Yeah. I thought you were trying to imitate the score. And I was like, that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it worked out. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. Is it creative just to be like. And then there were these biker gods that were permanently tripping on acid. Like, yeah, that's different. But, I think it's more creative than a god drives a truck at her and she shoots him. Sure. And but in that in that aspect, I feel like I mean maybe they are, but like a four year old writing a movie is probably more creative than like Steven Spielberg because <laughs> he'll say some crazy shit that doesn't make sense. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. There's there's a pretty well, he'll be like, and then his bow was called the Reaper. <laughs> yeah, it's like well, that's not great. There's a back when web comics were much more that? maybe. Goes, oh, I'm sorry, I was trying to think of a Steven Spielberg movie. <laughs> there's a really popular web comic back when web comics were more popular. Uh, called Axe Cop. That, that is Jurassic Park. <laughs> Give me the Reaper. <laughs> <laughs> but this this webcomic called Axe Cop. It was it's a like a twenty five year old animator and his uh, eight year old brother, and he animates everything that his little brother says. And like he gets his brother teases details out of him to make it, and it was really popular because the kid's imagination was wild. Yeah, but which is why it's called Axe Cop because it's a cop without a gun, but he has a hatchet. That's his. Sweet. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's really cool if you check it out. I think they turned it into a cartoon at some That's point. It's awesome. Axe Cop. Um. Yeah, it's. I, I think that's about the time that I saw the trailer for Revenge. Was was right around when I saw Mandy. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, which makes sense if you're going to pair this movie with something. Pair it with that. Yeah, and not to argue Brent's point, it made me 100% more creative than this movie was. I just don't know if that makes it better or not, I guess. Yeah, I think I think that... Sure. I think that this movie is is, yeah. is pretty deliberately uncreative in the plot. Right. Like, that's... I'm a titles guy, but, like, you know, it's, it's very simple what the story's about, what the motivations of the character are. Like, there's... Yeah, that, and, and, like... So was Django with like the lead character anyway. Yeah, you know. I, mean, I guess the most interesting parts of Django were like Christoph Waltz's character, right? I guess he was the one who had like an arc. Yeah. Did anybody else have an arc in that movie? Really? 
Not really. Everyone pretty much said exactly what they were going to do and then did exactly what they said they were going to do. Yeah. I mean, Django goes on a journey, but he doesn't really change too much. Right. Candy doesn't change at all. (laughs) Yeah. Stops breathing, I guess. (laughs) Breaks that glass real good with his hand. Um, I'm trying to think of just different types of revenge movies. I was just seeing if it's a genre. Like, I love Munich and I love Django. But if it's maybe just a genre that I'm just not high on. What about a movie where... It's the villain getting the revenge, like old boy. Uh, well, oh, they about old boy. <laughs> old boy is such a troubling story because it's it's not it's intentionally incomplete because they're yeah I, I don't I don't know I don't know how to talk about old boy the the plot of old boy right it's so convoluted and is involves incest and in like like this like institutional like involuntary incarceration and basically like pitting two forces against each other both of whom think they're seeking revenge for just reasons and it's just it is a is i would i would want to watch it again before i confidently talk about old boy i've got one to fit that a little bit. It kind of branches into the TV world a little. And I disagree, but I think both of y'all are on the same page that Walter White is a villain at the end of that. And he is definitely going for revenge at the end of that. So there's a villain going for revenge. Revenge. What's his revenge at the Why end? Why does he go kill himself and all those people? But yeah, they're... they're th- He's getting revenge for them taking Jesse, right? And, like, fucking up all of his shit. Yeah. For taking Jesse and for... I mean, why else does he go in there pretty much knowing he's going to die to do that if it's not for revenge? Yeah, I'm not saying it's not out of revenge. I'm, I am would say that that's... I think... I think that final episode is about him trying to do some... Um, some acts that make up for his monstrosity. Maybe don't make up for it, but it's his way of of sort of dealing with his own monstrosity is like he tells Skylar he did it all for himself and he, he's sort of that's he's coming to grips with him being a monster so like less villain almost not, not really a villain anymore he's on like a redemption path I think he knows he can't get full redemption but he's like I can do one thing I can go free Jesse so I think it's more internal with Walter everything's internal with Walter. Yeah, I just, what I hear, like, I can do one good thing, I'm gonna go do it, then it's not a villain anymore. You know what I mean? So, maybe a bad example. Yeah. I mean, Darth Vader's a villain to me. Even though he does the right thing in the end. He does one good thing, but he... Yeah, I guess it's, it's hard when you draw the line. Do you take the totality of a character's actions and call them a villain... Or do you say they're a villain up until this point and then they're not? I kind of yeah, I kind of see it as just like how they fit within the framework of the story, right? And I think Walter starts becoming the villain when he poisons the kid. Ooh, okay, that's that. That to me is, I think that that is representative that he has fully made the turn. Yeah, but I don't know if that is necessarily the turn. I think that it is. It's it's such a slow boil with Walter White. Um, well, it's it's an it, that's why you know what's interesting about Breaking Bad is that he still remains the protagonist. Right. He's still the the driving 
force behind the story, but he's the, in the way that uh, Tony Montana is the protagonist in Scarface, which is he's, you know, clearly the biggest monster right. in the movie. And I think Walter's the, eh, not necessarily the biggest. They always seem to find bigger monsters in Breaking Bad, but he's probably does more negative to everyone's everyone else we care about in that show. Yeah, I, I think that, that is the that is the best trick that Vince Gilligan played was captivating American audiences into rooting for like a bad human. Yeah, in for, fact, that was a, a common criticism I heard of the final episode. Which I didn't have. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with a, a character realizing. Like, we're like, why did Walter White burn down the city? Well, yeah, they they kind why of why did he fly his dragon and burn it down? <laughs> kind of thought Walter didn't deserve like any sort of a a satisfying ending. Well, it's not the ending now because El Camino's coming out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think if you were looking for that, you weren't watching the show the way I was. I guess. It was so obvious to me that I was supposed to hate every other character besides two of them in that show. Besides Walt and Jesse? The, yeah, Walt yeah. and Jesse. Fucking hated his wife. Hated his brother-in-law. Yeah. Hated his wife. Like, yeah. I mean, hated the situation he was put in where he essentially was like, you and your family are fucked because you got cancer. Right. Even though you're a public servant. I mean... <clears throat> Yeah, that's that's why it's 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 so kind of uh, it's so hard when you start to like another guy who's in the exact same situation as Walt and Jesse and Mike Ehrmantraut, where you start to realize like, oh, this is like he's a stone cold killer, but it's clear that he's also been he's also had to break bad, right? And then you start to like him, and then you realize like, oh, there really isn't room. Like Walt right. is an exception that he has a buddy he does this with. There isn't really room for two people to be such, like, violent vehicles plowing forward. Right. And, like, bringing up Darth Vader, definitely the villain in A New Hope, but also not in, like, the Star Wars universe. You know what I mean? I wouldn't call him the villain. Right. Yeah. It's 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 an interesting uh, uh, character inspiration that Kylo Ren is so, like, inspired by his grandfather to do evil because it's clear that the Empire, what it has done, has scrubbed any of Anakin out of Darth Vader. Right. I just feel like Darth Vader, the character, deserves a better term than one shared by, like, Hannibal Lecter and... Maleficent. Yeah. Like, people who are just, well, Maleficent's hard now. But, yes, aside from these new bullshit movies. Right. Yes. Like, the evil queen is not Darth Vader or Walter White. Right. She is 100% evil and about that life right. all the way. Yeah. With Darth there Vader, are no redeeming qualities. Yeah, they are much more multifaceted than being full-on in the in, in a black-and-white debate in the black category. Right. Yeah, Hannibal Lecter does some, like, positive things in his movies. It is all self-dealing. Yeah. That's the thing about Hannibal Lecter. Anyone who's like, well, he kind of helps out Clarice, it's like, it's all for personal gain. He is the most self-interested person, and it is a hallmark of sociopathy that you manipulate other people around you and make them trust you in order to further your own goals. He's just got a little rumbly in his tum tum. <laughs> He's, He's just hungry. He's just hungry. He's just got uh, got some lunch. <laughs> yeah, no, it's an interesting conversation though. The revenge turn to to villain uh, movies that don't have those labels are. Uh, 
often my favorites. Yeah. Where there's no clear hero or villain or whatever. Yeah. Um, Definitely. And it's funny because it's like we talked about John Wick earlier, another revenge movie. I think that the John Wick is so clearly a good guy. If good guy is the opposite of villain. I don't think that there's any questionable act that he takes on that like, he, he would be like lawful good. He would be like the most irritating player in a role playing game. Like, and in such like a, oh, and then he murders like 150 people. And had done so in a previous life yeah. to people who probably weren't out to kill him. Right. Yeah, and that's why you can't just like, just look at actions for like who is a villain, who is good. Right. Because, right. because you do have, you have a lot of good guys in movies that just, uh, I mean, Superman, pretty clearly the good guy of Man of Steel, and yet he pretty much destroys the city trying to beat Zod. Yeah. And right. um, there's that fallout in later movies, but it's... Uh, he, he's still He's still framed as the good guy. There's no question that he is who we are rooting for. Right. Yeah. The same way we are rooting for John Wick, no matter the cost. Yeah. Um, yeah, John Wick could have punched a dog in the face that was just like walking down the street in the third movie, and people would be like, I didn't remember that part. I didn't see it. <laughs> Must have blacked out. Nice. Yeah. It's fun talk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you have oh. any favorite revenge movies? Uh, I mean. So, yeah, obviously, I talk about it pretty. Yeah, we I talked about Munich and. Kill Bill. It's a pretty Kill great Bill. revenge movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate when the motivation to the main character is revenge, but then there's more. Like, the the uh, movie I'm seeing on a bunch of lists is Gladiator. Like, it's obvious that... that uh, that's the end goal. That's the end goal. But there is a lot of what he does that is, is added to it that is sprinkled along the way. Like, he's also, like, fighting at some point to change the culture of Rome. Which is, I think, the interesting parts of Gladiator. Like, the simple, like, you killed my wife and kid, now I'm going to kill you, isn't, I think, the, the, the best parts of that plot. Um, I mean, it's still kind of new and growing on me, but I do think the movie will will stand pretty well, but The Revenant was great in recent revenge movies. And honestly, one that I have torn feelings about with the villain-hero aspect, uh, but got to be one of the best revenge movies, is Carrie. Oh, yeah. Um, but I have no idea how to feel about any of those characters except John Travolta and his girlfriend are fucking sadistic. <laughs> That's about all I know for sure. And yeah. her mom's crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, they say the best revenge is living well. So I think Jerry, Jerry Maguire is probably my favorite revenge movie. <laughs> I was going to be like, Paddington 2. I think <laughs> Paddington 2 is a great revenge movie. The, the, the cheesy way you delivered that line, I thought we got sponsored by someone and you were about to do an ad read. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah. But Revenge is also a dish best served cold. So Paddington won. Or Paddington. <laughs> uh, I still thought you were gonna go into a blue apron sponsorship. And I'm like, we don't have that, Brent. We can't lie about that. We talked about this. I've got homework. You know when you'd be cold? When you're just wearing your MeUndies. <laughs> uh almost said MeUndies sucks. And I was like, Oh, just in case. I'll hold back on that. But then I said it anyway. Uh, I'm, I'm wearing Mac Weldon's right now. <laughs> You're like, I'm not wearing it. I'm wearing it. <laughs> um, I've got homework. Nice. Hip. Uh, in preps for 
Taika Waititi's something movie coming out, fifth or sixth. Yeah. Catch release coming out later this year. Get a lot of Oscar love, Jojo Rabbit. Um, I've seen most of Taika Waititi's movies. I've not seen two. They are both streaming on Canopy, and this one is streaming on Hulu, the one I'm going to pick. No. Um, and that's Hunt for the Wilder People. Hunt for the Wilder People. Hunt for the Wilder People. Cool. Streaming on Hulu? Uh, yeah, streaming on Hulu, starring... If it's an early movie, it might not be anyone we know. It's continuing with our series uh, of movies Sam where Neal, people hunt other people. <laughs> Julian Dennison is the uh, kid. He was the kid in Deadpool 2. Okay. Um, he's in Hunt for the Wilder People with like Sam Neill and Reese Darby. Oh, cool. So, it was a 2013 movie. It was just like right before Attack of the Team blew up. Right before Thor. Notify his family. <laughs> well, awesome. So, Hunt for the Wilder People, it's on Hulu. Yeah. Nice. Take cool. a breezy. Well, that was Talkie Talk. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can catch us on all podcasting applications <laughs> and services yeah. of your choice. Uh, find us on Facebook, Twitter, Gmail. You know what to do. Thanks you. Thanks to the Willow Walkers. Willow thanks. Walkers. Thanks to the Boo Reefa. And thanks to the listener. Thanks, listener. Bye, 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 bye. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town slowpokes, long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know.